0: Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have wonderful things to show us in the things you've created and the wonderful experience we have in working with you and growing and observing the characteristics of different plants and different fruits and how they react, how they respond to different conditions. And please teach us something valuable now, Father. Thank you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, the title of this is Heavenly Fruit, and you'll see why. And two fruits in particular, figs and pomegranate. Um, Sorry, can you see? Um, So figs and pomegranate are really interesting, and it was uh, nice to hear um, the presenter last night talk about figs and pomegranate. (laughs) So I thought that's a nice coincidence. So... They're very, very interesting and very different fruit from what we are used to. And um, you'll see as we look at the characteristics, they're beautiful plants and um, beautiful flowers and fruit and so forth. But both of these fruits are in heaven. And White saw in vision these fruit trees growing just outside the temple. And I thought that was very, very interesting that these two were specifically mentioned Um, in this Article written in 1846, one of her earlier writings, she says, Mount Zion was just before us, and on the mount sat a glorious temple, and about it were seven other mountains, on which gro- grew roses and lilies. And I saw the little ones climb, or if they chose, use their little wings and fly to the top of the mountains and pluck the never fading flowers. There were all kinds of trees around the temple to beautify the place the box, the pine, the fir, the oil, the myrtle, and now the fruit trees, the pomegranate and the fig tree, bowed down with the weight of its timely figs that made the place look all over glorious. So there we have it in heaven, these two fruit trees. And um, then must have been in the same vision. She mentions that she said, I beheld Jesus as he was before the father, a great high priest on the hem of his garment was a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. So there you have the fruit of the pomegranate around the hem of his garment. And that's really interesting. And we'll take a look at that. And so um, Moses, when he got to the edge of the promised land and before he died, he was up on the mountain and he was given a panoramic, panoramic view of the promised land. And um, Notice what he saw as angels presented to Moses, a panoramic view of the land of promise. He could take in the whole scene and appreciate it with almost divine clearness its magnificence. It was as a second Eden abounding in fruit trees of almost every variety and very beautiful ornamental trees and flowers. There were goodly cities with brooks and springs of water. There were fields of wheat and barley and vineyards and fig trees and pomegranates, so there we have it, fig trees and pomegranates again, and oil, olive, and honey. The Lord said, thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it. So we see these two trees, they're in heaven, and then they pop up in the promised land, and um, they seem to have some significance that I think is worth looking at. That's what we'll try to do a little bit today. So notice when Jesus was on earth, that it mentions those trees again in the lessons that the divine teacher gave to those who listened to his discourses he frequently chose a place beautified with flowers or surrounded with nature's varied scenery such as fields well cultivated flourishing gardens and cornfields rich verdure and fruitful trees green hedges orange olive and there we have it pomegranate and fig trees adorning the hills While in contrast to this flourishing and beautiful scenery would appear the white rocks and barren soil. So Jesus was originally in heaven before he came to earth. He had those fruit trees there and then they were in the promised land. And then when he was teaching, he liked to be in that setting. And, you know, nature is God's second book next to the Bible. And so it was aiding him in being able to teach valuable lessons. And that quote carries on and says, while the birds of the air with their varied music charmed the air as they were sporting in the air or flitting from tree to flower, the majesty of heaven used, uses these natural similitudes, or we could say living parables in representing the word sown in the human heart. He binds up his precious truths with the illustrations of nature that his hearers shall ever after look upon the objects he has connected with his lessons. The heart will be impressed with the great truths he taught them." So after today, hopefully you'll look at a fig and pomegranates a little different as we look at their characteristics and the spiritual lessons involved. Uh, Fig trees are are amazing things. There's many different varieties that we eat and there's also many varieties that we don't typically eat that are in different regions of the world. But the Bible refers to the fig tree quite a lot, probably more than any other fruit. And um, we see that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden used their leaves to cover their nakedness. They were in the promised land. Uh, Hezekiah threw, uh, uh, was healed through a poultice of figs. Jesus cursed the barren fig tree. Um, Jesus likened the signs of his return to the budding and leafing out of the fig tree in the spring. Uh, the parable of fig tree that bore no fruit and then was dug around and fertilized for one last chance before it being cut down. And Jesus saw Nathaniel praying under the fig tree. Zacchaeus climbed a fig tree to see Jesus. And the stars of heaven were referred to falling like a late fig tree when the wind blows and all its fruit falls to the ground. So those are references uh, in the Bible about figs. And some interesting facts about the figs is that... Um, the, uh, the, oh, I won't try to pronounce the um, Latin word there for them Asian, it's an Asian species of flowering plant in the mulberry family and I didn't know this before I, I researched a little bit um, for this presentation mulberries kind of a different looking fruit um, but it's that's what we know as the common fig and it's the first known cultivated agricultural crop as they've done archaeology, uh, d- digs and so forth, they've found that was the first crop that men were cultivating. Um, the early Olympic athletes used figs as a training food. Figs were also presented as laurels to the winners, becoming the first Olympic medal. There, were more than seven, uh, there are more than 700 species of figs, and for each one it has its own species of wasp to pollinate it. And most people don't know that, that wasps pollinate figs except some of the eating varieties that we we use are self-pollinated but um, there are some that are wasp pollinated the fruit is actually an inward blooming flower or rather a bundle of flowers and its survival depends on the tiny insect that gives its life and service for the fig so more facts figs are harvested according to nature's clock fully ripened and partially dried on the tree you can't pick them green and then they ripen up afterwards they have to be fully ripe otherwise they're a bit tasteless Um, figs naturally help hold in the moisture in baked goods keeping them fresher Uh, fig puree can be used to replace fat in baked goods that's a good fact to know for vegetarian cookers that want to have um healthy food. Um, and in California, where I live, grows many varieties of figs, but the, f- the two most common are the amber-colored or the lighter-colored ones that are almost green and slightly have a slightly nutty flavor, and the dark purple, almost black ones called Mission. Um, so those are very common. California produces 100% of the nation's dried figs and 98% of the fresh figs. Um, but I know that people grow them in other areas. I've seen them in Georgia. I've seen them, um, even a guy up in Michigan was growing them in a pot and putting them in his barn in winter and bring them out. So you can grow, grow them in other areas. Um, the Spaniards introduced mission figs to California territory in the early 16th century, and the Catholic priests um, brought the black mission in 1769. That is very, very common uh, so there are many varieties and um, they are very hardy. Some, uh, some of the wild varieties can produce as much as a million figs on one tree. And these, they're kind of like a vine that climbs up on another tree and ends up smothering the tree and then just spreads itself over. And apparently you can cover acres of, of land um, and in the wild forests um, they become a major part in some tropical areas and so um, looking at the inside of the fig figs have a unique closed inflorescence called a syconium and it contains hundreds of flowers so when you're eating a fig you're eating flowers Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of seed in there as well They have an inward beauty. It's not on the outside, it's on the inside. And so there's our first spiritual lesson. The Bible says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold or putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So a fig illustrates that. The flower is on the inside. Figs also need a lot of water to bear good tasting fruit. If they go through a bit of drought without water, the figs basically are tasteless and dry and fall off. And so, you know, as I've observed growing figs on our farm, um, if I don't faithfully water them, uh, might as well forget about the fruit. They're just woody and, and, and no good. And it really spoke to me that we need the Holy Spirit coming into our lives on a very regular uh, basis. Hi, Tracy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we need watering on a a very regular basis in order to bear fruit in our lives as well. Um, The wasp that enters the fig to pollinate it, this is fascinating. Um, They have an obligate mutualism with tiny fig-pollinating wasps. And every variety of the 700 varieties have a unique wasp. It's not the same kind of wasp that does every different one. They all have one that's specific to their species. And um, so they're, they're dependent on each other. The wasp cannot live without the fig and the fig cannot live without the wasp. Can't perpetuate, I should say. And so the female wasp enters the receptive psychonia where they pollinate the female flowers and you can see in the picture there where a little tiny wasp is and it's come through kind of the uh, end of the fig where it almost looks like a it's not a flower end but it, there's a little tiny opening that it can crawl through um, the only link the fig cavity has to the outside world is through a tiny bract lining opening at the apex of the fig called the astiol and it is by means of this passage that the pollinating fig gains access to the florets. Um, there's a male wasp as well. The male wasp in, in, in most cases is, um, it doesn't um, fly. It's got no wings. And when it hatches, after it's been, the eggs have been laid by the female wasp, it hatches in that fig and often mates with its sisters, I guess you would say, and um, it makes a hole out through the wall of the fig where the female, uh, the young females, which would be his uh, progeny, can get out and fly and they take the um, pollen from the fig they were born in and then fly to another fig, enter it and pollinate it and then um, they do their work and basically that's their, their life and their purpose. So the female fig lays eggs into some flowers where their larvae induce galls and weeks later the wasp offspring emerge from their galls into the syconium just as the male flowers have matured their pollen sacs and often the female picks a plant they crawl inside drop some pollen from their birth fig as well as their future babies and then the whole cycle just starts anew and once they enter a fig to lay their eggs, their wings and antennae are stripped. Just entering into the fig strips their wings off them. And uh, she, she does her duty and then she dies. And that's basically the wasp uh, life cycle. There's a cartoon picture of the wasp, of course, in a much bigger size. And some people are thinking, ooh, do I eat a wasp when I eat a fig? Yeah. Um, there's actually some enzyme that the, that, that the um, fig has. It basically dissolves the wasp and you don't see it and it's gone basically by the time. And most of the fig varieties, not all the fig varieties that we eat um, are self-pollinated. So you're not going to have you know, that. I mean, the fig wasps can go into them. In fact, when they brought new varieties into California initially, the mission fig was self-pollinating, but there was another variety, the, S- the Smyrna one, um, that wouldn't fruit. They couldn't, get any, um, they couldn't get it to do its thing, and they realized it needed the wasp. And so they imported wasps, and then they were able to, to start uh, reproducing them. So uh, what are the object lessons for us? What do you think? Anyone see anything stand out from this uh, fig? Yes, that's right. We need the Bible and we need um, nature studying together and they help us understand them both. Without one, you come to crazy conclusions like these uh, you're referring to. Okay, sorry, let me go back there. Um, of course, one the, the lesson we talked about before, the inner beauty that comes from the flowers on the inside of the fig is a, a spiritual lesson. Another one that kind of um, stood out to me is that you know, in Romans 5, it talks about the trials that we have and how that produces character and patience and, and so on. Um, it made me think that the wasp, you know, when we think of wasps that we know as wasps, they usually sting and they hurt and they, you know, think about something that happens in your life that, that causes pain, um, that somebody else has invaded your space. And, you know, if we... are. Uh, developing characters that produce that inner beauty, then instead of it becoming a, uh, a, a something that we respond to and react to and, and do the same back or worse to somebody who's um, hurting us, um, we'll have that inner beauty. And instead of it uh, bringing out evil, it will bring out beauty instead. And um, perhaps that will be something that will cause it to reproduce in someone else. And an example of that is my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, he was a converted man, loved the Lord. My grandmother was not converted and she was not nice to him. And she would, uh, she was rough with him and he would try to be loving to her and she would not be back. And I saw that as a child and thought to myself, I don't know how he takes that. Um, and he would just smile and and be loving to her in response and so he had that inward beauty you know that is illustrated in the um, uh, the fig he didn't respond and that and his life is i believe a major reason why i'm here today as a christian because his life shone to me you know what a christian is really like and so it was reproduced so, um, and then you brought out the, the lesson there about the wasp gives its life to serve, its, serve the fig and uh, we can give our lives also to serve our families and others as well. So let's go to the pomegranate. The pomegranate's a really unique and beautiful fruit um, and it is, the more I've learned about it, the more I am amazed and I think there's a real powerful reason why Jesus has it on his high priestly robe sewn around the the hem of his garment and I've never heard anyone speak about it before but I'll try to stimulate your minds to think about it more. Inside a pomegranate is there are hundreds of seeds every pomegranate will probably have a different number of seeds um, but six or eight hundred or somewhere around there seeds with fruit are covering each little seed and uh, the, the fruit is nice. Um, the seeds are a bit crunchy. Um, so a lot of people don't eat pomegranate because it's got a seed in it, which as um, was said last night, uh, people get used to eating seedless things because they don't want to chew on a seed. <laughs> and um, so not a lot of people uh, eat pomegranates. Um, With pomegranates, as I've become friends with them and have been eating them, um, you'll notice that inside of them they have membranes that that actually isolate little um, chambers of clusters of uh, fruit. And if you cut the top off, you can see where those membranes are and then you can run a knife down where the membrane is and then it will open up without kind of... um, spurting everywhere, and you'll still get a bit of uh, juice going everywhere. You you really don't want to be wearing something that you want that you don't want to get stained. You need an apron or something and it'll go on the wall, but they're a little bit messy. But this minimizes it if you open them that way. And I have found the best way to eat them is um, to eat them with granola. And so what I'll do is I'll open a pomegranate. I'll put half of it in my bowl and I'll put granola on top of it. And the crunchiness is the same texture as the seeds. You don't notice it and you get the flavor of the pomegranate coming through. And so I really enjoy eating them like that. Um, And there's different other ways that you can Uh, one one way that you can if you just want the juice out of it, you can put them in a Ziploc bag, uh, separate the seeds, put them in the Ziploc bag and then kind of crush them, roll them and then the juice will come out. Um, but I think there's benefit, a lot of benefit in the seed as well if we eat that. So the Bible refers to the pomegranate. Um, As mentioned before, it was sown on the hem of the high priest, and Jesus is our high priest, had it sown around the hem of his garment. The 12 spies brought back some from the land of Canaan as evidence of the goodly land. Um, It's mentioned a few times in the Song of Solomon, and a hundred of the pomegranate were sculpted on the capital of Solomon's temple. So they revered and looked to the um, uh, pomegranate as kind of a symbol of fertility and fruitfulness and um, the blessing of God, actually. Um, Ellen White grew pomegranate, and she says, My pomegranate trees look beautiful. The fruit on these little bushes said about three months ago is so thick, we've had to pick off the largest share of it, but they look so handsome. Um, So in her orchard, she had them. So what do we know about the pomegranate fruit? One of the um, major things is that it is anti-inflammatory. And most disease is started by inflammation. There's something wrong and the body is trying to heal itself and inflammation... um, is the result of of the disease and so pomegranate juice is a powerful anti-inflammatory because of its high concentration of antioxidants it can help reduce inflammation throughout the body and prevent oxidative stress and damage my father um, had an issue of um, he his PSA level was going up and um, he has had brothers and his father had prostate cancer and so it was a concern. And um, so I had just learned from reading something about um, the pomegranate having this um, anti-inflammatory and it was very good for uh, prostate issues. And so I told him drink um, a cup of pomegranate juice and you can buy it, you know, it's expensive, but you can get it anywhere. Um, and so he started drinking a cup of it a day and next time he went to the doctor PSA was way down low and it, would, it basically was non-existent so it has a really powerful effect um, it has many um, unaccountable benefits and this uh, particular lady here that's on the screen Sally Eleanor Wasani,. Um, actually did a paper compiling all these different research papers that uh, had been researching the health benefits or the healing benefits of pomegranate and if you take note of her name, she published in 2018 an article with all the different benefits and I'll just highlight some of them for you uh, where it has been noted through scientific research the healing benefits Um, gastrointestinal inflammation Uh, There was noticeable um, improvement, joint inflammation, respiratory inflammation, prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, bladder cancer, bacterial and fungal infection, virus infection, parasitic infection, cognitive disorders, Alzheimer's. um, They had good results. And skin disorders. So you can see there's a whole host. And there were more. I just didn't list them all down. And um, so... Pomegranate has amazing healing properties for us. So I believe that Jesus, him, having pomegranates around it is an appropriate symbol of his healing power. And not just as a physical healer, but healing us from the disease of sin and the inflammation of sin in our lives. And um, of course... You know, Elamite said she saw Jesus with pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell around his, the hem of his garment. So, um, in Revelation 19 and verse 13, Jesus is symbolically seen with his... Uh, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And I believe that the pomegranate is a symbol of those two things. When you open a pomegranate, the juice that spurts out It stains like blood. I mean, it gets on your clothes and it stains and it's red. And um, so I think the the, the juice of the pomegranate is symbolic of his blood and full of seed. And so the seed is, I think, is a, a symbol of the word of God. And so we are cleansed through his word and I mean through his blood and we receive his word, his promises. And healing comes through both his blood and his word. And notice this: that in, in the book of Luke, chapter eight, verses forty-two to forty-five, uh, Jesus says he went, but as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now, a woman having an issue of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched where, border, or in some um, other uh, gospel book says the the hem of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, who, is, who touched me? Because he felt the power go out of him to heal. And um, so here she touches the hem of, her, her hem of his garment. Now, of course, there weren't pomegranates on the hem, but this is symbolic of Jesus and how uh, healing flows through him. So that the, the, the symbol of the pomegranate being a healing fruit that has been known for a long time, um, it's been used for... Um, For healing purposes, we need to reach out to Jesus, don't we, for healing. He is the great physician, and he is the one who can heal us of our physical and our spiritual diseases. Um, In Mark 6, 53 to 56, it also says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. So there again, through the hem of his garment, just people reaching out to touch symbolically his garment. But in reality, it was the virtue of Jesus' life, his sacrifice, his blood and his word that promises us that he will heal and forgive and cleanse us of sin. And so the symbolism of the pomegranate, the pomegranate juice red like blood, the seed encapsulated by the juicy fruit, I believe is a symbol of the word of God. And the word is the seed. And once we have tasted the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God, the renewal of God, then we have seed that we can then go and share and let others experience his goodness. So, as I was thinking about these little pomegranate seeds that are encapsulated with fruit, it made me think in New Zealand where I come from, um, there is a tree called a Totra tree. And this Totra tree is uh, quite prolific and it grows everywhere And especially along fence lines on farms and it has a little fruit that you can see in the picture there and uh, it's not working that you want the bag Um, but we tried it but it wasn't it wasn't firing up yeah okay and um, so these little fruit that you see on there they're very similar to a pomegranate fruit. They, they taste a little bit different. Um, they're sweet. They're, they taste like jam, like a strawberry or raspberry jam taste. And they've got a seed in the center of them. And um, so we have these birds that come and eat the fruit and then they go and um, fly along and deposit the seed somewhere and then the tree grows from the deposit of the seed. And of course they like to perch on the fences and that's why along the fence lines, you'll see these rows of totras growing because they sit there and deposit their seed. So as I was thinking about um, the pomegranate fruit and the seed encapsulated, I was thinking about this this fruit also and and thinking about the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. In New Zealand, we also have a beautiful wood pigeon. It's about three times the size of a regular pigeon. They're fat and, and uh, beautiful looking birds, colorful. And when they fly, you can hear their wings going, whoosh, 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 you know, as they slowly are flapping their wings and flying through the canopy of the trees. And these birds eat those berries and go and deposit them. And so I was thinking, you know, that the fruit Uh, and the seed and and we're invited to taste and see that the Lord is good and these birds do that. They taste and see that the Lord is good as it says in the book of Psalms and um, then they fly and they deposit the seed and then another tree grows to produce more seed and i'm thinking about these seed uh, the, 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 these birds and as they fly i was thinking you know they look like little angels <laughs> flying and 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 taking the seed taking the seed to deposit you know to give to someone else and um they really look amazing as they fly and, and sound amazing you hear them before you see them um they've got a, a quite a loud flap when i say a flap it's the whooshing of the of the air that uh as they're flapping their wings. And I was thinking, wow, they just look like the three angels flying in the midst of heaven, giving the everlasting gospel, uh, the seed, the word of God. And I believe that God wants us to taste and see that he's good. He wants us to taste and see that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be made new, cleansed, and uh, then take the seed, the promises of his word, and then go and share them with the world. and um, Anyway, when I look at the pomegranate and I see those f- packed full of seed and, and packed full of juice that, it, that represents Jesus' blood, I believe, that uh, we can learn from that, take that seed. And the healing benefit that we receive, not just physically but spiritually, we've got lots of seed to go and share with the world. And so I want to praise God for these two fruits. And um, I kind of raced through there, didn't I? And I kind of ended a little bit shorter than, um, than what was planned. Um, but um, how many of you here today see that there's something pretty powerful and significant in these two fruit trees that originate in heaven? And um, I think that uh, I didn't mention much about the healing benefits of the fig tree, but um, there was one study that I read where they, they did a study on pomegranate fig and date and the, the healing benefits and they actually gave them to their uh, those who they were doing their, their uh, testing on and um, they measured comparing them with each other and the pomegranate had the most powerful healing and the fig was close but a little bit less and the date was less than that um, so they did uh, a number of tests and and um, so I don't know why they chose those three, but um, can you speak just for a few minutes since we have a few minutes about how do you propagate um, starting fig trees? Could you, Do you mind just sharing with us since you've got a nursery with is a hundred varieties? Um,
1: my friend has
0: oh, that, but I've propagated that. them. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I'm not an expert, but I'll share what I know. One of the beautiful things about fig trees is that they can be propagated very easily. With most fruit trees, you need some type of rooting hormone, whether it's a natural hormone or, you know, they sell chemical hormones and such. But fig trees, you can pretty much take a cutting and put it in the ground. It's really amazing, and I think that's a great spiritual lesson, too. So... All you have to do to propagate a fig tree is take a cutting off of the tree. Maybe in the fall, like when you're doing your pruning, you can take a cutting then. And you can either preserve the cuttings, or at that time, you can put the cutting in a pot and get it started, and then put it out in the spring after the last frost. So it's very simple. And they are extremely vigorous in the root stock. In fact, I believe the deepest root that they've ever found on a tree was from a fig tree. Not one of the fruiting fig trees, but one of the larger Mm -hmm. classifications of fig trees. And so, you know, when I was propagating fig trees, I would do some experiments as to how little a piece I could use to get a tree out of. Mm -hmm. You know, because with each node, if you look at the cuttings, there's little nodes where a leaf will come out and then also the fig will come out. And so I would sometimes even break off the little sprout that would come out of that node and put it in maybe some perlite, or, you know, you can do a mixture of sand and peat moss and, you know, even some regular soil mixed in there, Mm -hmm. as long as it's not too heavy. Mm -hmm. If it's too heavy, you know, very clay, and you put it in a pot or something like that, then the cutting can very easily rot. Mm -hmm. But something light that stays fluffy, and those cuttings just thrive. Mm -hmm. And you can stick them in the ground. On eBay, you can get many different types of cuttings. It's a great variety. And for those who are further north, the hardy Chicago is known as the hardiest variety. Um, you know, it, it's hardy Chicago, which, you know, if it's in Chicago, it would die back every year to the ground, but it would still survive, very likely. Um, does anyone have any specific questions? I have a fig tree that's nearby. So I'm just wondering do you piece top and then you can transplant it? Is that what you saying? Yeah, you can do that or you can put them in the ground either straight up and down or horizontal. If you put it horizontal about an inch underneath the ground, and sometimes you'll even get two fig trees coming up from that one wow. sprout and you can cut it in half mm-hmm. and then transplant the other one. Mm-hmm. So, it's I really consider it to be poor man's tree because, you know, I've worked on propagating apple trees and different things like that, but it's much easier with a fig tree to where You can start with one tree and the limit is how many, you know, maybe about six inch, four to six inch sections that you can cut and get in the ground. You could start with one tree and have thousands in just a few years.
0: very much. Yeah, I, did, I did take some cuttings and I put them in some pots and um, I had success with quite a few of them. I think there was one variety that didn't do well doing that um, and that was the large ones. I had one variety of fig two figs filled my hand. I mean it was, they were huge. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much
1: more.